host the exhibition and we are also rewarded to have Paul here with us. So we want to thank him to start off by thanking Paul for all of his hard work and collaboration. We started talking about this a while ago and I think that uh, I hope that you all share uh, my gratitude and my excitement to see the exhibition. Uh, in addition to that, I would like to thank a few people who were very important for the success of this installation. Uh, Leo and Patty Garchor uh, for uh, the loan of the piano. And I'm not going to talk about the artwork, Paul is here, so he will do that. Uh, so that was really generous of them and made the, the exhibition possible. Also would like to thank uh, George uh, Ravich, who is here tonight with us for the, the installation help, as well as Andrea Pinero. Thank you very much. And also the village media for their assistance as well. So the exhibition will be up for the next uh, almost three months, about three months. So I invite you to come back and um, when it's quiet and contemplate and listen to the silence and listen to nature. And um, yeah, so I think it's a very exciting exhibition. And uh, as I said, we're very happy that we were able to host it. This is still part of our programming for the 40th anniversary. So the whole year is really about celebrating the, the, the success of the gallery, but also the success of the arts in Sault Ste. Marie and the area because there are people who are very talented still in the, in, in the Sioux and people who left the Sioux. And I think that this is a great opportunity to welcome some of them back and celebrate with them their successes. So please join me in welcoming Paul Wall. Thanks everyone, it's so great to see everyone. It's great to be back in the Sioux, and um, we got to spend uh, over a month, so that's, that's the longest I've spent in the Sioux in quite some time, so it was great. I spent some time at our family cottage, and see friends and relatives, and, and I've seen more of you here this evening too, which is, which is wonderful. Um, so, yeah, first I should thank you guys for inviting me and, uh, and Kathleen for helping with the install uh, and everyone else, George and Andrea and um, the guard chores and everyone who helped with uh, putting this together. Um, so the, the works here are range over, they're dated from 2012 to 2014, but some of the ideas go back much further and um, I've been really working with some of these ideas for, for over 20 years and so this is kind of a survey of some of the meanderings that uh, my imagination has taken me in and, um, and it's not very easy for me to describe the work in, in linear progression, but um, I think I'll start with this piece over here. This one's called Interdeterminacy. It's um, mushroom spores on wood panel, and uh, I had the idea for this piece 12 or 10 years ago, and started working on it, and 
the sand, um, I took a very small mushroom and had spores drop on, onto paper and then scanned it and blew it up to kind of show you how big that, uh, you know, how small the sand would have been. And you can actually see individual spores um, on there and they still were really, really small to walk right into it. So these things are microscopic almost, but um, they, they are visible with, uh, with the naked eye. And if you, um, Go to my website. There's a video that shows us making this, and we have a laser array over the membrane, and you can see the mushroom spores passing through the laser before it hits the, the membrane. I'm using the coordinate, so um, you can see they kind of drift around like um, like snow falling, and really that kind of sound that you hear there is kind of like a swooshing uh, sound. That's actually the spores dragging across the, um, so they don't really like strike one at a time. You know, unless they were in a vacuum or something, it's really they needed um, they really need that uh, the wind the wind currents to kind of carry them around. Or um, and so I'll talk about this a few minutes. Again, if anyone has any questions, feel free to to drop me. Um, this is the one that has the least to do with cage, um, but it is inspired by uh, instructional scores, which was something that was developed by Cage and his students um, in a class called Experiments Composition at the New School in, in New York. We taught that class in the 1950s, and a lot of the artists that came out of that class went on to be famous artists in, um, themselves. Many of them were associated with the Fluxus movement, and they carried on that tradition of creating instructional scores. So a lot, a lot of Fluxus artists, Yoko Ono being the most famous, or but Grapefruit was full of instructional scores. So there are instructions for a performer to do things. Uh, it's not traditional music notation. And so I created a score that describes hanging the trees above the piano and the sound of the needles dropping into the highly amplified piano is the composition. So over the next three months, these trees will dry out and the needles will continue to drop into the piano. And if it's quiet over here, you'll be able to hear it. And uh, it's quite, quite audible. George got this thing sounding great. Uh, so, um, you can hear it quite well when it, when it is quiet. So, um, so I hope you, you know, Mike, and I never know how long it's going to take. I, I met one person who sat and watched this last time it was installed. She sat there for an hour before it finally dropped. Uh, and, and I thought she was the, like the best audience I've ever had. <laughs> Fabulous. Um, and uh, so I'll explain this piece here. The sound, we turned the sound off just so I could talk. Uh, but this relates to John Cage's most famous piece, which is called Four Minutes and 33 Seconds. It's a musical composition that has no notes. And he, for quite some time, Cage was interested in creating a silent piece. And so he ended up creating this thing with, uh, on a staff with blank bars in it. And he uh, created the composition. And David Tudor is um, a famous uh, pianist of. Cage's work, another experimental work, and it was a sound arts uh, in and of itself. He performed for three seconds in this hall, which is Maverick Hall in near Woodstock, New York, and it's in the middle of the Catskill Mountains. And uh, so as a student hearing about this piece, I always imagined it being performed in New York City in, in a soft seat venue, um, fully insulated from the, the sound of the streets outside. And I was really fascinated to find out the Maverick Hall was where um, uh, was performed. And uh, Maverick Hall, as you can see, it's kind of like a barn. 
the back door is open and there's outdoor seating. So some of the audience would have been inside, some of them would be outside. And I found, I found that really fascinating that he would choose to make a piece that was supposed to be about silence in a, in a place that would be anything but silent. And uh, so I, I got permission to go there on the 60th anniversary of the premiere. And they opened up the hall for me, and I went and made this audio and video recording. Um, and it's at the exact time that uh, David Tudor would perform it. And this was important to me because I wanted to get a sense of what the insect life would have been like uh, at that time of year. And so another group that I worked with is called Lobby Lodge, and we did a 24-hour recording um, where we tried to recreate what it sounded like in London, Ontario, a thousand years ago. And so what we did was do a 24-hour recording outside, then we went into post-production and took out all the species that are there now um, that weren't there a thousand years ago. And we took out all the sounds that weren't there a thousand years ago. So any, any motorized uh, vehicles going by, airplanes, anything like that. So we ended up having to cut out 60% of the sound. Um, the reason I bring that up, uh, we also added in all the species that uh, are no longer there as well, including passengers. The reason I bring that up is that we did the recording in August, but when we first showed that piece, it was in October. And there was an interesting phenomenon, which we were sitting inside listening to this thing, and our bodies started to relax, and we started to imagine that it was a summer day. And when we went outside, we were surprised to find that it was, it was still cold out. Uh, and so it occurred to me that the sounds that we hear really attune our bodies to um, you know, the environment. So when we hear the stage, when we hear the crickets, we actually know what it's going to be like outside. And so I wanted to do this on, on the exact day, at the exact time, to try to get that. You know what what performance of three six might sound like. And apparently, this was a, a unique thought for historians. Nobody ever thought before. What, is, what did performance of three seconds sound like 50 years ago? So, um, or 60 years ago. So it was something that interesting, and I um, was really pleased that I was able to go and do that. And uh, I hope you find it interesting as well. Um, so I think that's it. If anybody has any questions, I should say that this piano. This piano comes from the, the Gartour Music Camp, um, the Elbow Music Camp on St. Joseph Island. And that, the barn that they performed in was very much like Abner Hall. So I think it's a great connection between these two. And, and I actually played on this piano when I was a kid. So um, it's kind of funny that, that it ends up in this exhibition, like, I don't know, 35 years later. Um, does anyone have any questions about this stuff? Okay, party on. <laughs> 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 <laughs>